0: Okay. Again, we do Facebook Live, and um, Dale turns the, hits the switch. We're going to be on Facebook, and we encourage people to give us feedback and to, to text us, chat on the Facebook page, too. All right, we're on. So this morning, I'm a, I've been talking about the things Jesus said and did when he was on earth. We call it the red letters, the things Jesus said. Because in a lot of Bibles, they're in red. I've got two or three Bibles that have red letters in them. And um, I've been working through some very difficult subjects because Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says it the way it is. And and, and when he spoke 2,000 years ago, he was speaking to you and me as well as his disciples that were right in front of him. Because he wanted you and I to be able to receive what he wanted to say to you and me. He wanted us to receive the impact of His words and to be transformed and challenged and encouraged and comforted by His words. And um, this morning I want to talk about judging people. And this is a two-sided sword here, so you're going to hear a little bit about both sides of it. But um, one of the ways that the church is being tested in our times is in the area of unity. Okay? Would you say that's true? And if you, if you look outside at our sidewalk, you can see that somebody backed a truck up in a couple places onto our sidewalk. And what happened to the concrete? It cracked. And there's a picture, not this one. We'll look at this picture in a sec. I like that. There it is. Make every, and the scripture that goes with it. When pressure comes against our relationships as a church, we can crack too. Or not. And I want to talk about some ways that we can help prevent the enemy from putting wedges between us. Because he uses this whole area of judgment, a spirit of judgment against one another to cause the body of Christ to fragment, to be divided to not trust one another, and to be distanced and separated from one another. So let's read this verse together, okay? You ready? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Wow. Let that sink down inside of you. So a big way that the enemy does this dividing and, 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 uh, and, and, and warring against the unity of the Spirit is through what I call a spirit of judgment where we begin to judge and walk in judgment towards one another. In Joshua chapter 22, we've got a really cool example of this. Here you've got the, the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel have just come into the promised land in the last... Five years, four or five years, okay, and because the land on the other side of the Jordan River was really good land, what today is the country of Jordan. There were two and a half tribes that wanted to settle on the east side of the river, and so that left the other nine and a half tribes to settle on the north or the west side of the river, okay, and so these two and a half tribes promised Joshua that they would help fight the enemies of all 12 tribes. And when the wars were over and they had taken possession of the land, they would go back to their side of the river and go back to their families and their cities and get back to farming. And so we pick up the story here in Joshua 22. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there because I didn't put it up on the screen. It's just too much. While they, the, these soldiers from these two-and-a-half tribes, were returning home, while they were still in Canaan, which is the west side of the Jordan, and when they had come to the place called Gelaloth, near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that's the that's two-and-a-half tribes, stopped to build a large and imposing altar. Okay, They got all these stones together and made this great big huge altar. Probably looked like a like a just a big mound today, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it was square, maybe it was round, I don't know. But the rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh had built an altar at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. And so the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to go to war against them. Now, does that shock you? It should. First, however, thank God, they sent a delegation led by Phineas, the son of Eliezer the priest, to talk to the tribes, or to these men, from Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And when they arrived in the land of Gilead, which is the east side of the Jordan, they said to these guys, the whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? Then the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the clans of Israel, The truth is we have built this altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, What right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people. You have no claim to the Lord. So your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. So we decided to build an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants, that we too have the right to worship the Lord at His sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Talking about the sanctuary in Jerusalem. When Phineas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard this from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, they were satisfied. Phineas the son of Eleazar the priest replied to them, Today we know the Lord is among you because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord like we thought. Instead, you have rescued Israel from being destroyed by the hand of the Lord. Do you see the misunderstanding there? These guys build a big altar and immediately the other group on the west side jumps to conclusions. What conclusion did they jump to? Yeah, they think they're already falling away from God and building an altar so they can have their own sacrifices and worship God on their side of the river. Was that true? No. The people on the west side made a judgment in their hearts about the people on the east side. Right? They assumed that they knew what their motives were just based on partial information. They judged their brothers. And, if, and what would have happened if they hadn't sent a delegation to ask what, why they were doing this? Yeah, it would have been a bloody war over a misunderstanding. How about you? You ever had anybody misunderstand your motives? your reason for doing something and make a judgment against you just think for about for a moment anybody think can anybody go yeah i can think of a situation where somebody did not understand what i was doing and judged me for it anybody raise their hand there's a few okay how about the other side of the coin how many of you and me have misunderstood somebody else and and just made a judgment over well, that's, they're doing that because of this. I've done it. I heard somebody say uh, uh, a saying that made a lot of sense the other day. They said, crow, eating crow is best done when it's warm. Eating crow is best done when it's warm. It actually came from uh, Dwight Sandoz. It has so many sayings, so many one-liners. In other words, if you did something and then you realize that you totally missed it, like you judged somebody and found out that was not their heart at all, it's best to go to them sooner while it's warm and say, please forgive me, I was wrong. But people tend to... Otherwise, things can harden, can't they? Misunderstandings can harden. And then you have people that stay... Permanently distanced from one another. That's really a tragedy, especially in a family where people have misunderstood, been judged, or judged and then broken off a relationship. Pretty hard to restore that. You know, it's interesting when you look at the end of the Gospels, and we talked about this a few weeks back. Jesus' warnings about the end times are not about the timing of the rapture. They're not about what the Antichrist looks like. His warnings in the end times are about, don't be deceived. He says it at least three or four times in Matthew 24. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Why would he say that? yeah, it is something we can do, but he says it because that's going to be the temptation. It's to believe something that isn't true. And One of the tactics of the enemy is to cause us to become fragmented and separated from one another because of judgments that are not true, but the enemy comes to us and whispers to us things about, well, they don't really like you, or they did that because this. And we have to, at those points, choose whether we're going to enter into that place of judgment or whether we're going to believe differently. You know, the word judge is used at least four different ways in the New Testament. The English word is translated by four, five different Greek words. Actually, more like six or seven, but some of them are very close to one another. The first one is the word that means to condemn. When you condemn somebody, you put permanent separation and distance between you and them. Of course, we're mostly familiar with somebody being condemned to hell, which means they're there in the lake of fire and for all eternity. Only God has the right to condemn, according to the Scripture. Only God has the right to condemn. We do not have the right to condemn anyone, to write them off permanently forever. It's God's job. The second word is used to means literally to pass sentence. That means it's like it's like a courtroom situation where a judge hears all the evidence and the testimony, and then he makes a he passes down a sentence. This is what I believe to be true, and these are the consequences. Okay. The third word to judge means to weigh or evaluate. It's actually a mining term. It talks about um, when you get a load of gravel, you look through and try to find the gold or the silver in the gravel, and so you're separating out and you're weighing and evaluating the quality of something. You're judging as to whether it's good or bad or mixed or whatever, okay? We are all supposed to do that. We're all supposed to learn to judge that way, to learn to evaluate, to learn to distinguish we're supposed to be fruit inspectors, So we're going to talk about this at a later date, down the road. We're all supposed to learn how to be fruit inspectors. The fruit of someone is is what does their family look like? How is their wife? Is their wife happy and healthy? How are their kids or their husband? Um, are they healthy? You know, when someone represents to you uh, themselves to you as a certain way, you look at their life. You look at how they do on the job before you really just take that and say, Yeah, that's who they are. How many of you know that people can represent themselves one way and be very different from what they tell you? It's like the house that, uh, that, that, that Sarah and David got. The landlord represented that house one way, It turned out to have a lot of problems. He didn't explain to them or warn them about or take responsibility for it. So they didn't have the opportunity because they were at a distance. They couldn't go and look and wait. We need to be good at judging this way. The Apostle Paul says a spiritual person judges all things. It doesn't mean condemn or pass sentence. It means weighs and evaluates. Okay? The fourth uh, use of the word is the word uh, we translate discern. And it literally means to look really closely, like through a microscope at something. TJ's got two microscopes. Three microscopes. He inherits family members all give him microscopes because he's so scientific. But, but it means to scrutinize. It means to look real carefully at something to see whether it's really true and valuable when it's maybe obscured what's really going on. Being able to spot the counterfeit and the false and the contrived. It's like if you get passed a fake $20 bill and you go, this doesn't feel right. You look at it really, really carefully to see if you can spot anything that might give it away. How many of you have received emails supposedly from something reputable, but there was something about that email that just didn't, wasn't right? You could just tell. You had to scrutinize it. And you had to kind of look at it and finally go, you know what? There's a misspelled word there or, there's, or this doesn't look right and they're asking me for information I'm not supposed to give or whatever. We've got to be good at this. This is another one, the use of the word judge, that we need to become expert at. We need to be able to judge scrutinizing things to see whether they're counterfeit or they're true. Today I want to talk about number two only from this point on, this idea of passing a sentence on one another, deciding things about people that puts them in a box, pigeonholes them, diminishes them, I want to uh, start by talking about five things that we learn about judging in the New Testament. The first one is, is that Jesus says don't do it. And that there will be consequences if you do. And if, and if you didn't get one of these worksheets, for this, they're on this table here next to Rosie, if you want to fill in the blank on, on any of these, or at, and to put notes down. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So what is the motivation, according to Jesus, for us not judging other people? Exactly. We're going to get... What we give others is going to come back to us. Is that a motivation for you? It should be. And, and I have been a person that has struggled with judging in the past in my life and still do, I'm sure, to some degree. I remember hearing things about other pastors and just coming to, I would draw conclusions based on the scantiest evidence about what that person must be like what their church must be like, then I would go and meet them and find out that they were not the way I painted them at all. And I'd have to humble myself and repent. And if I'd said anything, I would maybe have to ask for forgiveness. Thank God for the times I didn't say anything. I just needed to get corrected. Okay? So Jesus says, don't judge. Don't pass sentence. That doesn't mean, well, we'll talk about this in a minute. Let's look at the second point. We cannot, the reason, another reason we shouldn't judge is we cannot see accurately or completely another person's heart or their circumstances. How many of you remember the story of the prophet Samuel going to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king after Saul? Jesse had seven sons, right? So he goes to Bethlehem where David grew up and he has Jesse bring in, David's dad bring in all the boys and then Samuel the prophet's got his thing full of oil, and he's looking, and the father starts putting, bringing the sons before him, one at a time, starting with the oldest. And immediately, Samuel sees the first one, who's this big, tall, handsome hunk of a guy. He just looks like he's perfect physically. And, and Samuel says to himself, Wow, this must be the one. And immediately, the Lord speaks to Samuel. says, Wrong He says, literally, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him or not chosen him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you could raise your hand to me and say today, I don't see the way the Lord sees. I see the outside. I see the physical. I've been married to my lovely wife going on 39 years. Why is it us guys, we marry often because we're attracted by the physical appearance, right? To be honest, that's at least part of it. And then as the years go by, what becomes important? Is it the physical or is it the inner, inner person that we have grown and fallen in love with? Because the physical diminishes a little bit over time, right? Gravity has its effect. Changing metabolism has its effect. Everything goes downhill. And, and yet, for a husband that has been in a covenant relationship with your, with your bride, your wife doesn't diminish In beauty, it's just the beauty becomes the whole person. And that is a marvelous thing because gray hair comes, wrinkles come, sometimes weight comes. But can a man and a woman be in love their whole married life? You bet they can. And it can actually get better and better. I can testify to that. But we don't see the whole thing, and so we've got to always remember, God, I don't know what's going on in their heart. All I'm seeing is the outside. And we need to go to the Lord and listen like Samuel does and say, Lord, how do you see? What do you see, Lord? The Lord looked at that big, strong number one, number one son, and, and the Lord knew he's got heart problems. He's not going to last as a king. He's going to be like Saul. And it'll all go to his head or whatever it is. The Lord knew he was disqualified. And so the next five come through and they're all done. And and Samuel, the Lord says, no, 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 no. And Samuel, the prophet says, well, he says to Jesse, don't you have any more sons? And and Jesse says, oh, yeah, there's the youngest one. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. We're not going to eat lunch until he gets here. So they go and they get David. David is probably 14 or 15. And uh, he was not the big, buff warrior like his older brothers. And the Lord said, this is the one. Because he saw the heart. And that's what we need to cry out to God. God, give me the ability to see the heart. The third thing Jesus, or what the Scripture says about judging is, number three, we don't have a leg to stand on because we do the same things as the people we judge. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, You are inexcusable, O man or woman, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. It's true, isn't it? We get mad at somebody because they're impatient. <laughs> or we get mad at somebody because they cursed. Or we get mad at somebody because they were selfish. And when a finger pointing at them has got four three fingers pointing back at us, right? Paul says, you do not have the qualifications to be the judge here. You don't. You don't. So don't judge. The fourth thing we read is that people are in process. They're they're in their journey. They're not going to be the same tomorrow as they are today, and that today they aren't what they were yesterday. How many of you can say, I'm not like I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm kind of in the middle, right? We're all in this process of transformation, and the Scripture uses a fancy word called sanctification, which means that transforming, maturing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, dealing with our sins, dealing with our habits, dealing with our attitudes, dealing with our selfishness, and all those things as we grow and walk with the Lord. And we have got to let the Holy Spirit do His work. How many of you have seen somebody come down really hard on a young believer because that young believer was doing something that the older Christian thought they shouldn't have any, any they shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be listening to that godless radio station or whatever, you shouldn't be listening to that. That's, that. that's not Christian music, you know. I mean, you know that God may enjoy jazz. God may enjoy opera, the country music. So. What I'm saying is that we sometimes want to play Holy Spirit, don't we? We want to kind of help people by telling them what they shouldn't be doing. Instead of trusting that if we pray for our friends, our brothers and sisters, that we can, the Holy Spirit is very able. He's the one that's called to convict of sin, not me. And I remember as a young believer going to a, um, a Rolling Stones concert. I'm sorry, I confess, I repent. But no, I did, and I thought, I thought it was really cool, and I was in the middle of the concert, and I started listening to the words. And it just occurred to me in the middle of the concert, I was like 20 years old, 19 years old, this isn't really good, this is a lie. I shouldn't be here. And I never went to another concert like that again. You know, somebody could have criticized me and and, uh, told me not to, I shouldn't have done that. But I actually learned something going. It marked me, it burned something into me. Sometimes we need to let new believers make mistakes, like we did fall down and skin their knee and get up because that scar is going to remind them that's the place you don't want to go. Okay. And the fifth thing is here is we're not talking about behavior, not judging behavior that that violates clear biblical principles. If you see a brother or a sister doing something which is clearly against God's standards, Then you as a brother or sister, if you have a relationship with them, you don't, you pray for them. You may speak, you say, Lord, do I need to say something? And this is an area where there's a whole lot of problems in the American church because there are lots and lots of churches and believers now that are saying in a spirit of inclusivity, we won't have, we won't say anything about anybody's lifestyle anymore. So you can live whatever lifestyle you want. That's between you and God. And and uh, and and if it's okay for you, then that's cool. We see a lot of that. But the Lord calls us as the bride of Christ to be holy. He says, "Be holy as I am holy." The Lord calls us to live a life of moral purity before Him. I'm not saying that we make that happen. I'm saying that, that as we yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives, He transforms us, right? If I come from an alcoholic background and I have come to the Lord, if I've been a big drinker or drug doing drugs... There may be an area in me that's that's a real tough that's a really tough issue to overcome, right? But does that mean that I just give into it because that's the way I'm wired? That's my predisposition? No. The Apostle Paul tells us clearly in Romans 6 that sin shall not have dominion over you as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to overcome areas in our lives where we are weak and sinful. We can never make excuses for sin because sin is choosing something above Jesus. And and, uh, we have a lot of people, um, I know people in this community that are living with other partners that are not, not in a marriage covenant. And the scripture is incredibly clear about that that's not what God's will is. God's will is for them to enter into a committed covenant relationship where they will protect one another and walk with one another. Nothing will separate them. And that that's the environment in which you have kids in because it's the healthiest environment. It's the environment God chooses for us. Is it because God's mean and He doesn't want people to have fun? No. And God has given us clear standards on sexuality, marriage, and so on. And we know that our nation, that is under assault incredible assault. In California, I mentioned this a week or two ago, they just recently passed a law lessening penalties on men who want to have a relationship with a boy 10 years younger than than them. Because they determined that that boy, if he's homosexual, should have the right to express his sexuality. How many of you know that a 10-year-old boy doesn't have a clue on, on what he is and what he should be doing at 10 years old? sexual. It might be why it's burning. It really might. I don't know. But our nation morally is going down the tubes in many ways. There's these trends are just, they're making people do things that are just screaming to me that this is just nuts. But guess what? Jesus said, you will be hated by many. We're standing up for what is right and what is true. It's not that we are self-righteous. We're just calling people to the righteousness that God has given to us as a gift. We've all started out as sinners. And God receives us as sinners and then begins to clean our lives up and heal us and restore us. And we cannot compromise the standards that God has in order to please people. And we have people who have left our church over the years because we have said, I'm sorry, but that lifestyle does not glorify God. In fact, he's, he's not, he's, he hates it. So we're not talking about that. When we're talking about judging one another, we're not saying that you don't have the right to say that person's lifestyle is not right. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul goes through this in great detail. Because a guy in their church was having an affair with his mother-in-law, or his stepmother. Stepmother. Maybe they were divorced, but still, she was his stepmom. He was having a sexual affair with his stepmother. And Paul Paul says, from a distance, I'll tell you right now, get him out of your church. Because what he's doing is going to infect the whole church. It's like leaven in bread, Paul says. How many of you know Paul as a governmental church authority, knowing the circumstances that were established and clear, was, had the right to, to, to judge the situation. Church leaders have the right to make those kinds of judgments when all the evidence has been weighed and the testimony is clear. So what we're talking about is not that. We're talking about individually jumping to conclusions on partial information and deciding that people believe things because we heard this, or saw that, and we really don't know for sure. We're like Samuel that saw the first son and said, this has got to be the one. There's an old Welsh fable told of a dog that belonged to Louis the Great, a prince of Gwynedd in the 13th century. He'd been given the dog as a gift from King John of England. Prince Llewellyn's wife had passed away, and the dog was charged with watching the cradle of the prince's baby when he went hunting. After one particular hunting trip, the prince had returned home to find the cradle of the baby overturned and the bedding and the floor covered in blood. With the baby missing... And seeing his dog with blood covering his mouth, the prince plunged his sword into the dog, thinking that it had killed the baby. The dog's dying yelp was answered by a child's cry. The prince searched and found the baby lying unharmed, lying near the dead body of a mighty wolf. The dog had actually been protecting the baby as his owner had desired. So tragic. How many times have we jumped conclusions and made judgments? Practical application, and I'm gonna wrap this up as fast as I can. I know I'm running over a little bit, but blame Francisco or something. Actually, it was me giving all those announcements. So real quickly, practical application, number one, this is for you to take home. Assume the best, and not the worst. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Paul says, love believes the best. Okay? Secondly, suspend your judgment. Suspend means to hold on to it and don't let it happen. Okay? Don't rush to judgment. James 1.19 says, be slow to speak and slow to Get angry, okay. So don't jump to conclusions. Thirdly, ask questions. Remember these guys in uh, in Judges chapter twenty? I mean, yeah, Judges twenty-two or Joshua twenty-two. They went and they asked, "Why did you guys build this stupid memorial?" I mean, this big altar. Just they had assumed it was for sacrifice, and they said, "Oh no, no, no! That's just to remind us that our God is your God." And our kids, when down the road, they'll go, that's that's our God. If they hadn't asked the questions, they'd have been nasty. It would have been horrible. Fourth, remember that you don't see the heart. and You need God to help you see the heart. And fifth, strive for understanding and unity. Make that your goal, understanding and unity. Last of all, check your own oil first. Have I forgiven? Is there something in my heart that needs to be dealt with? You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that we need to judge ourselves. In other words, we need to take a real good look at our own attitudes, motives, and so on. Matthew, Jesus said in 7, chapter 7, verse 3, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye and you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite!" First, get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. That's really a pride issue, thinking that we can fix people, right? As I close, one last situation. What about when I'm a victim of somebody else judging me? And this is very common. I'm sure many of us deal with this. I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not satisfied by this. And he who judges me is the Lord. People, if people judge us, we have to trust God with our reputation. Don't get defensive. Don't fight people to protect yourself and your own reputation. Ask God to take care of it. And I've been in a situation where that happened to me and it was amazing how God took care of it and finally be willing to be misunderstood in order to honor other people sometimes we can't tell people especially a pastor cannot tell and explain to people why we do things because we have privileged confidential information that we have to act upon sometimes people think they just assume we did that because of this and they don't have a clue and so it's just best to suspend judgment if we're not a part of the solution then we need to not be a part of the problem so, your homework is to memorize that one little verse, Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Not just to memorize this, but to make it part of your life. And I encourage you, if you like to mo- watch movies, watch the, the movie, the old movie, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen all about this subject of judging. It's really amazing. All right, let's close in prayer. And then if you desire to be ministered to in prayer this morning, just come on up to the altar in the front and we have people who'll pray for you. Lord God, we just thank you and we ask that you would open our eyes to see how the enemy wants to take advantage of us in this area and how he wants us to enter into judging our brothers and sisters. How he wants to just give us this, the, this, the least little tidbit And make us think it's all about this. And make us judge and and assume we know somebody's heart and motive. Lord, help us to humble ourselves and to say, God, I repent for judging my brother, whoever it is, my sister, whoever it is. Lord, I don't know their hearts, so help me to give it to you. And if I'm concerned about them, to go to them and just say, I saw this or I heard this. I just want to know, are you okay? Is this true what I heard? and then be able to be a part of developing a relationship with them that might help them come closer to you, or being corrected and humbling myself and saying, I just want you to know I'm praying. Thank you for setting me straight. Help us, God, in this area. And Lord, I also pray you'd help us not to use this don't judge me thing as an excuse for hiding stuff that we want other people not to see. That's so common. God, every TV show, it seems like, that's on the air is all about people cheating on one another and hiding things from one another and then saying, don't judge me, as a defense. Oh, God, help us to put that far from us personally and help us, Lord, to be willing to speak to brothers and sisters that are entering into destructive choices in their lifestyles because we care enough to want to see them not entangled by the enemy, not bound up by his chains. Lord, we just ask for your help to protect us. Lord, we know that deceptions are only going to increase. And we ask for your help, Lord, that we can do everything we can do to say no to the tactics of the enemy in this church. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us today. And we bless you as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.